Hey guys, welcome to episode number 40 of the Rugby Strength Coach podcast. This is Keir from Rugby Strength Coach. In today's episode, I'm going to be speaking to Michael Macri, who for several years was head of sports science for the South Sydney Rabbitohs in the NRL in Australia. I'm sure you're aware that the Rabbitohs are one of the most successful uh, teams in professional rugby league. They're a keen rival of the Sydney Roosters, who I worked with uh, around the same time that Michael was working in the league. That team won the NRL the year following the Roosters, so I've always kind of wanted to get a little bit of insight into how they were successful in that year, but also how they were less successful in other years and, and why Michael thought that might be so. We started off our conversation talking about his history as an athlete, uh, as a swimmer, and how he made that move to team sports, how he came up as a coach and how he experienced the, the difference between the culture of a stopwatch sport like swimming, an individual sport, and then going into uh, professional rugby league, which is obviously a, a team sport, but has a, a very, very different training culture that I've spoken about in the past. I wanted to get his insights into that. Like I mentioned, we're going to talk about what what was the difference between those successful years and the less successful years. And if he had his time again, what would he do differently to try and turn those bad years into good years? And then lastly, we're going to talk about his most recent move, which was to the USA, why he's made that move, some of the people that he's met and, and learned from since he's been there, and also the main differences in terms of the strength and conditioning culture between professional rugby league in Australia and the various institutions that he's been visiting in the USA. Now, if you've enjoyed this podcast and you want to check out more information like it, be sure to check out the Rugby Strength Coach community. This is an exclusive members website that I've created just for coaches, and it offers a unique combination of video lectures, online discussion, and career advice that's going to help you to take your coaching career to the next level. Each month, we offer a 60-minute video lecture from a strength and conditioning coach working at the elite or professional level of sport on a topic that is dear to their heart. This is not just the stuff that you get taught that matters when you do your accreditation, your UKSCA, or your degree. This is the stuff that keeps elite level coaches up at night that really matters in their job in the real world. We've got presentations from guys that work in the NFL, professional soccer, elite level track and field, uh, the NRL in Australia and New Zealand, international rugby, professional cycling, the list goes on. We have over 30 hours of video lectures and the list is growing all the time and you will get access to all of these when you sign up to become a member of the Rugby Strength Coach community. Not only this, but you're going to get access to the online discussion forum. We have hundreds of members from all over the world working at the very, very top of the game all the way down to novice coaches. Here, you're going to be able to discuss every strength and conditioning topic under the sun to ask questions and get answers and share resources. Lastly, we also offer a special area of the forum dedicated to career development. Here, you're going to be able to get advice from coaches who have been there, done it, brought the t-shirt and worked at the highest level of the industry. Here, you're going to get advice on all the things you need to do to build the career that you want, including networking, CV writing, interview prep, and climbing the ladder. So if that sounds good to you and you'd like to try it out, just go to rugbystrengthcoach.com members and enter the code word TRIAL. This is going to allow you to sign up for 24 hours at the price of just £1. If you like it, keep it, and you can sign up to become a regular member. If you don't, just get in contact with us, cancel it. There's no strings attached. If you don't like it and it's not for you, no problem. But for now, sit back and enjoy the podcast. Michael, how's it going? Yeah, good, thanks, man. How you going? Not too bad. Like I said, it's um, a week holiday here. So this is the one holiday that the Japanese actually take. So I've got the uh, <laughs> office to myself. What about you? Yeah, mate, um, it's starting to get some really good weather over here in uh, California. So uh, last week was a bit bit cooler. This week, uh, I mean, everyone had their... Their jackets and their jumpers this week, all the uh, singlet tops and tank tops have come out. Um, so, you know, it's we're, we're getting closer to the summer. So, uh, looking forward to it, mate. Looking forward to it. Time to get out the fucking plaggers. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got to get down to the beach somewhere, you know. Get, uh, you know, I've been doing beach weights, you know. Uh, shoulders, buys and tries for the last month in preparation. So, uh, it would be good to get out there and uh, show out the progress. So. <laughs> Um, but, mate, looking forward to a lot warmer weather. This will be the first year that I won't have a winter. So, um, looking forward to it very much. Mate, I did the opposite. I did three years of nothing but winter. <laughs> oh, well, I don't, I don't envy you there. But that was like, what, in, in the UK? Like, it's winter 12 months of the year, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> so, I mean, you're, you're in California now, but what, what's your background? How did you get to, to be in California? Mate, it was a pretty cool sort of journey, um, or well, I like to think it was anyway. I started off you know, in high school, 
uh, probably even even earlier than that, but just competing in swimming. So I've got a swimming background. I love the sport. Um, as any kid does when you grow up, you get into a sport that you're good at. And um, again, also where your parents and your family push you at, but I fell in love with the yeah. sport. I uh, really enjoyed it. From there, um, I wasn't setting the world on fire. Like I was, you know, age grouping, state nationals, but wasn't setting the world on fire. And um, being the youngest in the family, you know, you've got a lot of pressure of trying to live up to the expectations of your elder siblings. So um, I didn't want to suck at my high school results. So I sort of phased out the competitive phase and went into uh, a bit more of academia, if, if you will, trying to make my uh, results count for university and got into uh, exercise science degree at Australian Catholic Uni, uh, still not knowing what the hell I wanted to do other than the fact that I wanted to work in sport. Um, when I was 19, I uh, got really, really sick. So I had a lot of reflection time. Uh, I got like uh, oh, wow. glandular fever for about three, four months. So sucks. yeah, it sucked big time. So other than, you know, sort of, having nothing else to do but having to deal with this pain that felt like you're going to be stabbed in the throat every single time you talk or swallow or anything like that, eating. I had a lot of reflection time on what I wanted to do. And um, it just came, just happened to be that at the end of that year, 2008, um, was obviously the Beijing Olympics. Mm. And I got really, really lucky. I emailed a, uh, a swimming coach called Grant Stolwinder who was coming across from Perth. Now, Grant Stolwinder is Eamon Sullivan's uh, coach for any of you Australian listeners out there and um, he basically was coming into Sydney to get all these Australian Olympic swimmers together so I literally emailed him said mate can I I heard about this on the news I was like mate can I uh, come and watch and not thinking he was going to reply and then literally a day later he goes yeah uh, here's my number I'll call me when I get to Sydney and that just sort of started everything um, he was coming to work at the New South Wales Institute of Sport. And yeah, that just got the ball rolling. I went to the squad that I competed at, Willoughby Leisure Centre, with a coach called Graham Brewer. And again, not really knowing a lot about my coach, um, other than the fact that he swam at the Moscow Olympics. I didn't realise how well connected he was and he just sort of knew that I was coaching. I, I talked to him about knew I was coaching or wanted to get in coaching and just sort of put my name out there and helped me. So. Yeah, it was great. Got got to learn a lot about swimming and a little bit of diving at the institutes. Um, did some stuff in rugby union um, at the shoot shield level in New South Wales, and then rolled into rugby league at the North Sydney Bears, and got an opportunity at the Rabbitohs as part of an internship in 2012. Got the full time role at the end of that year, and um, yeah, the rest is history. We were able to you know win a competition in 2014 and really looked really nice on the CV. You know, if, you, if you're wanting to get overseas um, employment, uh, obviously being a good practitioner is one, but having some sort of success under your belt is, is unbelievable. But considering it's so, it's so hard to do, you know what I mean? So um, rolling on from that, it just sort of the, the goal of wanting to work overseas at some stage, that was always going to be the, the fact of the matter because growing up, I, enjoy, I loved watching Liverpool. They're, they're my team in the English Premier League. So for people of you that aren't Liverpool fans that want to turn off, I'm sorry. But but um, they were the team I enjoyed watching. So I was always like, Fuck, I, want to, I want to work for them one day. Like they were, it would have been a dream of mine to work for them. And that just sort of started my passion of wanting to go, you know what, I'm going to put myself in a position to work overseas. Opportunity came about where I networked all over the world, particularly in, in UK and America. And I thought, you know what, the time is right. So at the end of uh, 2016 season, NRO, I thought, you know what, it's now or never. So I uh, took the jump and came across, and here I am now, live, uh, living the dream, as they all say, uh, in uh, sunny Mountain View, which is just a little south of San Francisco. But, um, yeah, loving it. Loving it. Best thing I've ever done. That's awesome, man. So, I mean, you've obviously made your name in, in rugby league. How did you make that transition from swimming to rugby because obviously those as as disciplines you know in in terms of training but also in terms of the culture and the, the team dynamic they're very very different is it just like you you randomly got the opportunity for shoot shield and it it, it was like an organic process or did you say hey you know like footy's a, a real big code in australia i'm going to try and make it in that code 
Oh, uh, yeah, it's a good question, man. I basically... <laughs> Any individual sport, as you know, you're dealing with a different beast of athletes as opposed to a team athlete. Um, every time I go into a new environment, I am not one to sort of be the loud and proud. I sort of really sit back and try to soak as much as I can in. Even though I was from a swimming background, I felt comfortable um, doing all that stuff at N-Swiss. I still was in an environment I'd never been in before. So... I, I took a backwards step for a very long time and just tried to soak as much as I can in. So when I wanted to go into, into rugby, um, it was just by circumstance that I, I got into those teams, you know, interning with teams with the shoot shield and stuff like that. It, it wasn't like, oh, I wanted to get into either rugby or rugby league. It was just, there was an opportunity that came about and I got into it. And um, with rugby, the rugby union that is, it didn't feel as natural because I never actually supported that code so when i went in there i really enjoyed it don't get me wrong um the clubs there the guy the coaches they were great but rugby league felt more organic if you will because i'd supported my whole life i was, I was a canberra raider fan from a very, very young that, age yeah i'm so, yeah actually they're doing really well mate yeah, yeah. Um, at the moment but yeah uh condolences thank you um but yeah i i you know i support the race from a young age and anything rugby league you know that was always going to be a better fit so I got really lucky. Um, 2010, was it 2010? Yes, 2010, I basically got the opportunity to go in and uh, have a look at for a, a month or so um, the Carolina Bulldogs. So at the time, there was a coach, uh, strength coach there, Harry Harris. And that was my first sort of look at rugby league, and albeit at a professional level. And his advice was you know what, if you really want to learn, you really want to get ahead um, as a coach you got to go back to basics. So at a professional level, we generally have everything available to us. Strip that back, go down to the reserve grade level, go down to even further than that, you know, Ron Messi Cup or even Park Footy, where there's nothing available to you. And then you can learn, have you know, add more strength to your bone. You're learning everything. So you're not so much specialised. So when an opportunity arises, you can fit into any role. So yep. I did just that. I did just that again. Same thing I did with the swimming and the rugby. I just contacted everybody, and by circumstance again, um, opportunity came up with North Sydney Bears, with and Nathan, that was a, right? yeah with Nathan Parnham. Again, great opportunity for me at the time, not knowing anything about Nathan, but good environment, a good opportunity to basically do whatever, and you could you you could fuck up, and it wouldn't make one bit of a problem because it was a learning environment. You know what I mean? Oh, of course, you know, there'd be ramifications if there were things that went wrong, but more so you could try things in that environment and if it worked out fantastic, if it didn't, you, you try again. It's hard to do that in a professional environment because so much- You're not going to do that with a, a Sam Burgess. Exactly right. There's so much at stake, not just your job, but the job of the, co the head coach, the assistant coaches, the players themselves. You know, there's so much money running. So you're not going to go- uh, you know what, one day we're going to test drive this unless you've got a bit of research backing it, a rationale behind that. Not saying that you wouldn't have that in a reserve grade level, but you have to really sell it a lot more at the professional level. So from there at the Bears, again, very timid. You know, I was, I was still fairly young at that stage. I was probably a uh, 20, 21-year-old, still very young because I did the swimming and the rugby, you know, um, at the same time, because oh, okay. um, it, it was just it was that it was that sort of opportunity that I could do that, and it wasn't a conflict of interest. Um, so still very timid and not really knowing the environment, but then I was able to get more confident. And I think we might have mentioned it last time we spoke. Confidence as a coach comes a lot from your mentor that you have. You know what I mean? So Nathan was great in the fact that he was able to build up confidence on my part and not really make me feel bad if I messed up. You know, he was encouraging that. So then you go, you know what? I can do what I can do without having fear of the reprimand. You know what I mean? Because there are some mentors out there or some people that you may go under that if you mess up, you get in trouble and you feel you feel shit about yourself. You go, oh, crap, what did I do? Whereas it was a free environment. And I guess that's how I transitioned because I was very, very lucky to have these people that were able to say, you know what? He, today you do the warm-up or write me up a warm-up let me have a look at what you think then if I like it then you can put it into place 
you know. And then that wave, I, th I remember throughout the year, you know, Nathan, he had um, some personal things he had to take care of, so he, he wasn't able to um, come to a couple of games, you know what I mean? So then I, you know, little old me, little stumpy me, uh, was like next in line. And, you know, the, the coach at the time could have easily gone, you know what, we'll take the warm-up. We're not going to let this 20, 20-year-old do it. We're not going to have faith in, you know, they, they didn't do that. They actually said, you know what, Nathan's not here, Michael, you're up. And, you know, scared shitless at the same time. Because like, oh, crap, you know, because as an assistant, as an offside, you, you sort of, you're not you're hands on, but you're not hands on. You're basically just looking at the bit at the the, the head coach or the head strengthening coach, and you're men, taking mental note of everything he does and, and trying to make sure that you can put that into your own sort of unique spin when you get the opportunity. You know what I mean? So the, the fact that I got the opportunity to do a couple of warm ups or even take you know on game day was pretty awesome. And that, and that's it. That's when you build confidence when everyone around you has confidence in you. Then it makes the environment an easier transition, you know what I mean? So then when I was able to get the opportunity to go into the Rabbitohs, albeit, again, an intern, I, I was confident that, I, you know, I could say, you know what, my opinions matter if we got into a conversation about someone asking, what do you think about this? Because that's a big thing in, in our industry is you got to be, you can't be scared of having an opinion. Now, you know all about that, but, <laughs> but, um, but I, I'm talking with young, younger coaches and with my mentality – um, as well as my personality, I've always been told from a young age, you know, my mom, you know, how to me, if you don't understand anything, ask, 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 there's, you know, there's no dumb questions. So, you know, at school, you know, can you imagine the amount of teachers I annoyed with, oh, miss, you know, but it was, it was good because then when I, it transferred over to this industry, when I'm thinking about, you know what, this, in my mind, I'm thinking to myself, geez, this might be a dumb question. But then when I come out and ask it, the person I'm asking it to may not necessarily say, that's a dumb question. They might go, hey, wait a minute. That's actually maybe outside the box, maybe a bit crazy, but you know what? It's actually a good thing to ask. So, you know, it, it's... And it's, it forces the other guy to to develop as well. You know, I think that the best thing, I kind of complained at the time, but when I was with Argentina, because they'd obviously spent a lot of money with Exos, it, they, they gave you two jobs and they paid one price for it. One was you have yeah. to work with the team, but the other one was we want to develop this national coaching structure. You're going to work with these 25 guys. And when you've got 25 guys asking you a question, you soon find out what you don't know and that forces you to get better. And if, if you've got no one questioning you or you don't have that culture where you're encouraging that, you, you, you may have those holes in your armor that you never know about. Oh, exactly right. And I'm sure you've seen it. Everyone's seen that, um, you know, that Twitter post that did the cycle, you know, um, the, most, the most dangerous phrases we've always done it this way. And yeah, that was cycling for years and years. And, and it, but it's so true, you know what I mean? If if you've got a person that is part of an organization that believes that, like you said, that doesn't encourage opinions or questioning, then you can never adapt. And in our environment in team sports, everything is adapting almost in some cases, for example, the, the NFL, the AFL, sometimes they're adapting every game. You know, we're, we're talking about in rugby league, Rugby league in Australia has adapted for the last three seasons purely from, you know, less interchanges, speeding up the game, you know. Um, you know, with, with Aussie rules, you know, you might have a, a particular team that plays a, a certain style one week, teams catch on almost instantly with all the video analysts out there. Next week, they have to adapt and change their game plan, otherwise, you know, it's going to be rendered obsolete to a degree, you know what I mean? So it's such a ever-changing environment and, you know, adapting your style is, is so important. That's, you know, I, I kind of learned the hard way here that culture has a huge amount to do with your ability to respond to those situations because, you know, like you, you mentioned asking questions. One thing here, I can stand in front of a room full of 40 guys and I'll say, does anyone have any questions? And I'll stand there for 10 seconds and there's no hands. And then the moment we get in the gym, it's clear that you yeah. know, maybe they didn't understand. And then they'll ask a question and it's, they have a phrase here, which is the nail that sticks up gets hammered. They spend their entire lives trying to blend in. Whereas I think in a Western culture, sometimes we have guys that actively try to stand out or they'll put their hand up and ask a question. And um, yeah, it's been really interesting. If you, if you think about what Japanese culture does very, very well in business, it's repetition, don't modify, stick to the rule book. 
consistency, minute alteration of improvement over time. You think, well, what do they do really, really well? They do cars, they do electronics, they do all yeah. this stuff really, really well. <laughs> but when you think about the reality of professional sport, like you said, the, the game plan will change every single week. The decisions that you're making about the S&C coach in terms of the program has to change every single day based on you know the, the state of the athlete and all that kind of stuff. And it, I think if, if you look at, say like the Japanese national team, it took an it took someone like an Eddie Jones who is, you know, was probably culturally raised part Japanese. He's half Japanese, yeah. but then he's also got that Western attitude of actually, you know, he's he's gonna fucking say what he means. He's gonna make decisions quickly and and try and basically drag others along with him. It's it's quite interesting. Man, yes, yeah, so you, you hit the nail on the head there with with culture. Like, um, that's the one big thing I wanted to make sure that I understood coming over here. Um, obviously being an Australian in Australia with Australian sports, I'd, I'd watched and supported my whole life. You know, you've got to learn a little bit of the culture, especially when you're going from swimming, which are straight and narrow athletes. You know, they're, they never late, um, you know, bed most likely at 9, 30, 10 o'clock every night up at four, four thirty every morning, you know, very switched on. I'm not saying that rugby league players are, but different backgrounds you it's, know. it's, it's different <laughs> yeah very different you know what i mean you know a lot of them are growing up in the country and they don't have the sort of uh benefits that some of these city city folk have you know what i mean but um basically yeah you can learn the culture but that's really really easy in your own backyard you come across to a different country like you said um and i think it's a downfall of a lot of practitioners that they go in thinking it's seamless but not really understanding that you can't do in america or europe or asia what you can do in australia because it'll be backlash because the culture is different. So that's something that we may, we'll probably touch on a bit later, but definitely, uh, yeah, he definitely hit the nail on the head. Culture is so important. It can actually make or break you as a coach, really. Yeah. I mean, you, you try dropping a C-bomb in uh, an American S&C culture. It's like in Australia, it's every other word. <laughs> oh, I've, I've already tested that water, so uh, <laughs> I've learned very quickly. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, so you, you, you mentioned this this picture on the internet, you know, the phrase we've always done it this way is one of the most dangerous phrases you can have. Yeah. I'm curious as to how you found that culture within rugby league, because one of the things that I've admired about the individual sports, what I'd call the stopwatch sports is yeah. you either get faster or you get slower and you're going to find out very, very quickly if what you did was correct or if you can justify the course of action that you're taking. Whereas in the team sports, you and I both know there are some terrible SNCs yeah. out there that they, they're made to look good by the roster, by the head coach, by uh, the psychology of the team. So how do you how do you kind of marry those two up coming from a stopwatch sport background and trying to be an evidence-based practitioner, but then kind of balance the, the culture in the NRL, which I found to be difficult? Yeah, but it, it, is, it is tough. Like, um, I'll bring back to the point that I mentioned last time with Alvin Meal, and he was saying that uh, uh, great athletes have made up for the sins of many a strength coach, and oh, yeah. not just a strength coach, but a sports scientist, a physiotherapist, a high performance manager. It is, mate, you're very right. The roster does help. Um, however, you know, it's it's the staff that keep that roster on the field, so it's give and take. But I understand where you come from there, and I've seen it because. In a sport like rugby league where, or any sport, um, if you will, when we were having success with the Rabbitohs, it is very, very difficult to want to go and change the formula that got you that success. And I understand where yeah. those people are coming from. They're like, don't fix what's not broken. Um, you know, if this, if X, Y, and Z contributed to you winning a premiership title in 2014, and then... Auckland Nines and then the World Club Challenge the following year. It's like, why change a winning formula? As we were saying before, you don't have to overhaul because this is where people get a very, very confused about what do they change. It's either one extreme or the other. Yeah. And this catches a lot of people out because if they're winning, they don't change anything. If they're losing, they change everything. And it should be a tweak. Yes, it should be a tweak, a very slight tweak, and it has to do with the fact that obviously every year the competition is changing, but every year your roster is changing. Every year your individual players in that team, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually in some cases, they're changing too. Um, so you have to adapt to all those different areas. 
Um, it is it is tough because uh, even though my position at the Rabbitohs was being, I was very lucky to see many different areas of the club. So um, small performance department, very intimate performance department, if you will, um, having insight into what the high performance manager did, the strength conditioning coaches, a little bit to do with the medical, not a lot, but I got to see that part of it and also saw the side of the administration. It's funny how if one side of things don't adapt, how the entire club in itself doesn't adapt. Um, the biggest key to change is having to convince or have a good relationship with your head coach. Like my view, I've always been brought up to think, obviously, you know, your mum and dad, they're the, they're, they're the boss, you know what I mean? So if you're looking at the head coach as the parental figure, the father figure, the boss in organisation, um, that person is king in any organisation and what they say goes. You can have a particular philosophy. If they don't agree with it, it's too bad. It's not going to ever work. So in order to bring about that change, number one, most importantly, you have to convince the head coach. In some cases, the general manager or the CEO. But um, it's it's trying to come up with things that go, you know what, this is the reason why we need to tweak because, you know, for this certain point where if you're the premiers, then you're the hunted now. You know what I mean? Everyone is going to play their best every single week because they look at you as the litmus test. Um, no no so, one's coming in, you know, with their B game. Everyone's going to raise their game to play against you, right? Exactly right. Just to say we beat the premiers of last year. You know yeah. what I mean? So it, it, is, it is difficult to be able to go to those people, those authoritative positions to say, okay, we've, we've won but yet we need to keep moving in this direction by changing X, Y, and Z or tweaking X, Y, and Z. Sometimes they look at you and they'll go, what the fuck are you talking about? You know what I mean? Mm. Um, because again, it's that winning formula. But generally, it's just an option of going, you know what? Yeah, win your battles where you can win them. And I always look at it, the sort of the stone cutter analogy type thing where I, I'm trying to paraphrase the quote where there's a stone cutter, he's knocking at one particular part of the rock um, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 times, you know what I mean? Um, 90 times, 98 times, 99 times. On the 100th blow, the rock breaks. But it's not that 100th blow that breaks the rock. It's the 99 knocks before that that have done the majority of the damage. So if you're using that analogy for coaching and trying to change it's it's chipping away one percent one percent one percent every single time and you win your battles where you can and eventually hopefully it may not always happen but hopefully they might look at you and go you know what let's give that a go and see what happens mm. but coming from a swimming environment where there is so much research out there I, and don't get me wrong there's a lot of we've always done it this way in swimming too because you have all of your, I don't like to use the the, the, the term old school because um, these day and age, old school is a harmless term, but I think this day and age, old school can be a bit derogatory or insulting yeah. because people have termed it to say, oh, this this guy's old school, which means he's shit, which I don't believe that. So I'm not, I don't like using that term, but swimming, you have a lot of old older coaches, let's put it that way, a lot of older coaches that go, you know what, the, the days of, you know, if you're a sprinter, you know, you still need your aerobic base. So we're still going to do 200s, 400s to, to build up that aerobic base so you're able to get to the sprinting stage, you know. So it's always like in swimming, the last 10 metres is what you're really training for, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, everyone can swim the first 50, 100 fast, but can you hold that for the last 10, 20 metres, you know what I mean? So there's still elements of that. We've done it all this um, this way always this way in swimming, but it's less because, again, intimate. You, you find out a lot sooner. You know, the, the yeah, exactly right. Yeah, but the coaching starts a lot smaller. It's one-on-one. -on -one. The athlete has the trust of the coach and vice versa. And like you said, you're either getting faster or you're not. Mm. Whereas in team sports, you can have three, four, five players on a team that are playing hopeless one night and still win because the rest of the team are backing through. So um, it is it is really, really difficult. But, you know, in, to, in terms of just sort of to wrap it up and I'll answer that question, it is just a matter of chipping away constantly, obviously with the right backing, with whether it be evidence or um, justification and whatnot. But um, it is not an easy thing to do, even in sports that 
like to term themselves as, you know, new age, new age and modern and hip and cool and, like I said, evidence-based. You know, even in those sort of sports, it's hard to uh, to sort of bring about change. But you know what? I I think it's changing with a lot more coaches this, this day and age starting to go, you know what? We really need to move in a particular direction where we're not standing still. So yeah. um, ho- hopefully in the next, you know, five, ten years, you know, you'll see a bit more of a shift in let's be more open and less siloed, but um, you know what? It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a bit of a battle at the stage. Do you ever find yourself in a team sport environment, you know, to steal a phrase from another Australian strength coach, John Pryor, he said every now and then I'll tickle their balls. Like I'll give them, <laughs> I'll give them what they think is going to work and I'll, I'll kind of, I'll take a hit in a small area of the program that I get to win in other areas of the program with the stuff that I know works. Did you ever oh, find yourself doing that in, in rugby league? Oh yeah, definitely. There were there were parts where um, there were particular conditioning drills that were termed a specific way, but they weren't actually that specific drill yeah. that we were doing. We were terming it a name and giving it a name, but in actual fact, we're doing something completely different. So, whereas some of the coaches, um, whether it be the SNC or the the assistant coaches, the head coach were thinking that we were doing something particular, for example, like an MAS, you know, right? It looked like MAS, it talked like MAS, it, it must have been MAS. But in actual fact, we were more doing more of like a repeat, repeated sprint ability, for example, you know what I mean? Yeah. So in that way, we've tried, you know, trying to mask something along those lines to say, you know what, we'll, like you said, do something that you think is what this is, but in actual fact, we're doing something else, which is actually going to benefit them. Um, yeah, definitely. I think everyone sort of masks things like that in order to sort of not create any sort of disturbances within the, the team. You know what I mean? If yeah. no, no one wants to create disharmony, I think everyone in some capacity, that was just an example I use, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But I think, I think everyone's done that in some capacity. But in other areas where, you know, I think a lot of people do this as well, where they take an idea that, no, that they know is not going to work and they just have this entire, they talk it up, talk it up, talk it up, and then it becomes this massive placebo. Yeah. And all of a sudden, everyone's just like, man, this is like the best thing ever. But in actual fact, you know, everyone else knows that's a lot of shit. But the power of the placebo effect that everyone thinks it's amazing, it's going to make that essentially, you know, pretty poor, whether it be drill or supplement or technique or co- whatever be amazing and again i'm sure many people have done that too but it's it's a technique to say you know what let's rather than be the the arrogant person to say you know what fuck this you're not going to listen to me i'm just going to do my own thing you know you have to sort of some way use those techniques to go and just just to keep everyone on on the right page and that no one's you know getting pissed off at one another because as you know the, the moment that everyone starts having the infighting and the, and the, uh, the finger pointing, that's program when program doesn't matter, right? Exactly. The program doesn't matter. So even though you, people might listen to this and go, oh, that's, that's, that's poor form in, in while you're doing that, you know, you've you got your best intentions at heart, you know? Because yeah, yeah. at the end of the day, no matter what person in the organization, you know, whether you could have the person that – there's always one person in the organization that's all about themselves – um, whether it be in the coaching side or the administration side, there's always one. You're never going to have an entire organization of hundreds of people all going on the same path. There's always like, you know, there's always one. Um, basically, yeah, you just have to sort of say, you know what, we don't want this disharmony because the moment that happens, then the players catch on very quickly and they go, wait a minute, what's going on here? Why are all the coaches and all the performance staff sort of having a fight and everything like that. And then they don't put in because they're yeah. worried about having an excuse that they can use when they play poorly. So West when they Tigers. play poorly, well, uh, I don't want to go into that, but um, <laughs> yeah. you could you could argue that that yeah. is possibly the case. But there, that's a whole different story. You, you, yeah. you never know. You never yeah, know yeah. from the outside. Oh, I mean, you exactly can right. Yeah. You, 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 see, you, you see that change that. in performance from week to week. You think, yeah, yeah there's, exactly there's something right. going on. And then what happens is they go, well, why did you play poor this week? And then they can turn around and go, well, you're fighting with the coaches. Well, that's that's disrupted my, you know, yeah. my preparation. So, um, yeah, to be honest, I think everyone's done that and best intentions at heart. And you know what? If it 
if everyone has the team's success at heart, which everyone does, everyone wants the team to succeed. It's the... Behaving like that rather than saying that. Yes, exactly right. So, Yeah. yeah. So when you think about you know, successful years and less successful years during your, your, your term at South. What is it that stands out for you as to the difference? Is it just that the, you know, the planets aligned or was it that did something dramatically change in the physical prep or was it, you know, recruitment tactics or that kind of stuff? Or is it just a gradual process of improvement year after year? Because obviously I think the year before you guys won the premier, you lost in the final. Uh, the preliminary final, yeah. So, yeah, mate, that's a good question. Um, so basically what, what happens is, for those of you who don't know out there listening to this, we have a salary cap in, in um, the NRL. and Allegedly. <laughs> Allegedly, yeah, you're right. You know, um, everyone, yeah, <laughs> um, we have a salary cap. Yeah. And um, those teams that are successful are essentially punished, as you know, because then the market value of the players go up and then you have to – you know, uh, as you said, you know, play your, your your puzzle game to try and fit everybody in. But to put it bluntly, in 2011, 2010-20, or maybe, probably even 2009, 2009-10-11, um, the club underperformed. They had a great roster. The club underperformed. You know, you, had, you have a, Mike Maguire come across from Wigan Warriors. You know, he had won, I think it was a premiership over there and a Challenge Cup. You know, it was, it was a big deal. You know, so he was coming in as a, an unknown coach in the NRL realm, but still someone that actually knew how to get stuff done. You know what I mean? Yeah. So the attention was always going to be 2012 with new coaching, new coach, new coaching staff, new players. Everyone was going to have, everyone was going to sit up and take notes and, and do whatever the coach did. Generally in the first year, that always happens. You know what I mean? Um, it's Roosters, again, 2013. Exactly right. You know, Trent Robinson's come in, or you have Sonny Bill, you have a few other players and, whether it, like you said, the stars definitely aligned that year because having taking what less than twelve months for a combination to happen and success, like you know, it, don't mind you, it was a great team, but um, you have to have some luck along the way. And some people would say, oh, you know what, you make your own luck. That's true, but um, you have to have some unforeseen luck at the same time. But yeah. Um, but yeah, everyone can judge success differently. You know, when, when, when you're asking success, you're saying, you know, we won the premiership, whatnot. You know, some teams would say, oh, success is making the top eight or top four. But, you know, basically, in, in, in uh, when we won the comp there, um, the stars did align in a number of ways. Unbelievably, 100%, I'll back that to, to the hills. But at the same time, you've got a team that hasn't won anything for a long, long time, or a club that hasn't won anything for a long, long time. A bunch of players who other than Lottie Takiri was in there. Um, just trying to think if Ben Tier was part of a premiership wing side of the Broncos, but I think that may, he may be in the only one, I think. Uh, apologies if I've forgotten if those are... But, um, but yeah, he was the only one that really won a comp. Yeah. No one else had done that. So everyone was trying to roll together, going, you know what, we want to get that elusive premiership because it's a bloody hard thing to do. You know, like everyone can play for their country. Everyone can play for state of origin. You know, rep honours is just, you know, they give them out like candy these days. Um, but winning an NRL premiership is one of the hardest things to do. So everyone sort of bound together in, in and wanted to go progress to get that win. So you've got um, a happy group, number one. Well, actually, number one, you've got a, t- a group that's all on the same page. Number two, you've got a happy group that's wanting to play football. Um, and then when you've got those two together, then everything clicks into place, you know. Um, everyone trains harder, which means there's less injuries because, you know, if, you, if you're training harder, generally you, you're building up a resistance in the body. So um, you know, unintentionally, you know, it, it's better for injury levels, you know what I mean? Um, then the energy of the entire club goes up, not just with the players and the staff, but the, the administration, the community. So everyone's buzzing. And then by the time you're making the finals, everyone's just – it's like this – we used, uh, you know, it's like a kettle boiling, you know what I mean? So if the kettle boils and you basically hold that lid down and Won't you hold it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but then you let it go, it explodes, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Everyone was at that point come the finals. And then when it got to the finals, it was just like, no one was going to stop us, okay? 
So yeah. when you so that they're the good times, and you're talking about winning. So that's the success of it. In the the following years, um, everything changes. Number one, like we said before, the salary cap. So you have to pay more certain players more, and you lose players. Okay. Yeah. Number two, the everyone says, oh, you know, we're still motivated to go and go back to back or win nothing. But unless you've got a everyone on the same page, that's like you know what, we are so hungry to win again. Sometimes you're just that little bit less motivated when you're going into, like, say, a Monday night game at Shark Park. It's pissing down rain. Like, and we had we had that game every year in my in my tenure at the club. It was a horrible, horrible. Nobody wants to be in Cronulla even when the weather's good. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> so when you've when you've won something, so, I'm not saying the players were guilty of this, but yeah. sometimes you could sort of go. You, you could you could sort of um, be forgiven of going. You know what? We've won something, so maybe I'm not going to go into a tackle as hard. Yeah. I'm not, again, I'm not saying that's forgivable, but that, that's probably what creeps into people's minds. So you don't have as much of like the hunger is 150 percent when you're not when you haven't won. But then the year after you've won, it probably goes down to about 100 100 percent, 110. You know, so 150 yeah, yeah. down 100. You know, you've lost quite a bit. You know what I mean? Um, so then you, then you're losing from that perspective because you're like, oh, you know what? You have the mentality at the same time of we can just turn up to play. Yeah. You know what I mean? So there's a whole – that side of things. Um, then there was a few off-field indiscretions where you don't want to go into, but every team, every club has it. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Um, and, but in terms of the – you know, you, you want to get down to the nitty-gritty, you're probably going, shut the hell up. Let's get to the physical side of things. Um, so here I am. I, I'll put my hand up. And I'll say, and I don't know if anyone else in the in the club at the time will say, but I would think that we were a little bit guilty of not adapting enough. Back to the okay. point we made before, um, that we had a winning formula and we tried to stick with that winning formula, but with a completely different team. And everyone's guilty of that. And like I said, like I said I'll put my hand up and I, and I think that we could be guilty a little bit of not adapting. Um, maybe the, tr- the training that we did, um, could have been done a bit differently. Um, maybe instead of coming in back as early back into training as what we did, we could come back a bit later. You know, these are all ifs and whats and that sort of stuff. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? There was nothing, there wasn't one thing that I could literally say, you know what, this was the reason behind why we didn't go as well the following year. But then you look back and you go, you know what, for the majority of the year, we were in the top four. So 2015 wasn't actually a bad year for the club. People look at that decline, um, the last four games, we lost four on the trot and we were gone, bang, 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 we were out. But if you, if you look at the bigger picture, you go, okay, we won the, the preseason tournament, everyone goes, oh, big whoop about that. But, you know, that's, that's it, still it a big deal. It pays game. better than the NRL. <laughs> exactly right. So that, that's, that's, that's still an achievement. You still have to get up and yeah. get off your ass and, and put some effort in. And then um, the World Club Challenge, when we travelled all the way over to Manchester um, to play the Wigan Warriors in their own backyard, and then literally less than was it seven or eight days later, we were playing round one for the Starting Premiership the comp, yeah. in Brisbane. You know yeah. what I mean? Not an easy so, place to go. Yeah, and then we and we went up, and the boys put a great performance in, and they smashed the Brisbane Broncos by thirty odd points. You know what I mean? So Do you think the maybe majority, they, they peaked too early, or oh yeah. People are saying, oh, you know, the Rabbitohs, they'll, they won't lose a game in 2015, all this sort of stuff like this and whatnot. Um, I don't know if the team peaked too early as such. I think there was just that much of an excitement behind mm. winning the comp and then we had an altitude camp in Arizona and then we had the Auckland. This was a big domino effect. We would, it was just one after the other after the other, all these good things happening. You know, people that said we peaked too early, you know what, maybe they were right in some cases. But I think – it wasn't a physical burnout. It was a mental burnout because um, I think the players were wanting just a, a legitimate break from everything, you know what I mean? Because it's really tough in any competition in the world to, to keep yourself up over a long period of time. And the boys, to their credit, they kept up for – Four for four seasons, you know, from 2012. And there was a World to... Cup in there as well, so I mean that, that yeah, was, that's no exactly. Oh, exactly right. So um, you've got your rep players there that have just gone. Pff, they're like 
the, the head's exploding. And everyone forgets this. These guys are human beings, and a lot of them have families and young kids. So we talk about this new technological sports science age we're in, and we got all the best, you know, all the giz gizmos and gadgets, and we're measuring player loads like GPS and Omega Wave and heart rate and, and brain waves, all this sort of stuff. But then what are we doing for the players in their social life where you've got, you know, 12-month, 16-month-old uh, kids, you know? They're 25-year-old player with two young kids, you know, three o'clock in the morning, one of them gets up, shits themselves or vomits or is sick or is crying. What are we doing for those players? You know what I mean? Mm. We, we forget that these players are human beings and we don't look at anything. Okay, I'll, I'll cut that back. That's probably wrong. We don't look as much as what's going on outside of the club. You know what I mean? So... Um, again, that may, that probably contributed. We had some players, you know, get married. Some players have kids. It all it's it all builds up. You know what I mean? So um, you can't put a finger on one thing. It was a multitude of factors. But like I said, 2015 was uh, still a great year. Didn't end the way we went, wanted to. Um, and then the following year in 2016 was again very unsettled with players leaving and this happens to every every club and everyone talks about the premiership window you know you've got a certain amount of time to be successful and again in this day and age if you are successful with the salary cap and people always asking for more money um you know we didn't have the squad in 2016 what we had in 2014 okay mm -hmm. and that comes and then that comes back to being guilty of not adapting enough then the game changes okay we go from 10 interchanges down to eight. And then obviously I'm not there this year, but this year it's going down to six. That plays a big part. You're just going to end up with a team of guys that are 100 kilos, basically. Exactly. It plays a big part in how you're conditioning these players too. So gone are the days of the the road running, the long, slow jogs that we're doing, you know what I mean, in rugby league. So, um, but in a nutshell, like, I really, really hope the boys this year come back and, and really prove everybody wrong because they're not going so well at the moment but i really hope they they come back and they and they do well because it and, uh, you know my heart is with the club and i, I love the club and, and this, the times that we had there but um like i said the team they got this year in 2017 is vastly different from what we had in 12 13 14 you know what i mean so that in itself is part of the reason why they're not as successful but um you'd be arrogant to say there's one thing that was the reason you know, and um, that's like we said before. That's the chaotic nature of sport. How you deal with adapting through the good, the good times and the bad. How you come out the other side. That's that's the art of it. You know what I mean? And like I said, you and I, we can have the best program in the world, but all the other things I mentioned, if they don't all trigger into place, it doesn't matter if you've got the world's best program and you're selling that for five thousand dollars in the black market. I know you would. Um, you know, it's not it's not going to work because a program is only as good as the environment it's in. Yeah, so you've been over there for a few months in the states. What what have you, you know, kind of updated your understanding about, or what have you changed your mind about being in that environment versus Australia? Because obviously, different, in my opinion, different countries do things really, really well in SNC, and other countries mm -hmm. do other stuff really, really well. Mate, like I'm telling you now, the US have some really good coaches. Now, for whatever reason, um. People have looked at the U.S. and gone, they don't know what they're doing over there. It's completely false. You know, they are – they're doing a really good job over here. And in the strength and conditioning side of things, the strength side of things, they're, in, they're arguably on top of everybody else. They do that side of things really, really well. Um, you know, sports science, everyone turns sports science. Um, you know, it is what it is over here. It's, it's fairly young, particularly from a – managerial point of view like a management point of view uh I've, basically to give you an example you know gps is termed catapult over here so they've still got a long way to go in terms of understanding what sports science is now the reason why it's not being as receptive over here as what may should have been is because people are scared of it why are they scared they don't understand it why they don't understand because no one educating them about what it actually is yeah. okay now um i was reading a couple of articles not long ago, and apologies, I don't know who wrote it, but I was reading a couple of articles, uh, and they're saying that sports science is not just monitoring. You know, it's 
it's within strength and conditioning. It's within the medical departments, within nutrition, within a lot of different facets. So if people go, I don't like sports science, you look at yourself and you go, well, you're a strength and conditioning coach. There's parts of sports science involved in what you're actually doing in the gym. So oh, we're all sports scientists. <laughs> exactly. We're all sports scientists. So why are people going, we hate sports scientists for? Yeah. Well, in, in actual fact, you are one yourself. You just have that fancy name to you. You know, you're the, a different flavor. Yeah. You're the strength and power and speed development coach or something like that. You know what I mean? We, yeah. we give titles to ourselves to make ourselves feel better. But in actual fact, we're all sports scientists to a degree. You know what I mean? Um, but like back, back to it, you know, they're, they're doing a great, there's some really, really good coaches over here. And I'm, and I'm wanting to learn more about these coaches because they know a lot more than what I do from the strength and conditioning standpoint. You know what I mean? I've come from strength and conditioning background, but they over here, because that's what they do very well, they do that extremely well. That's almost all what they know. There's a, um, a small pocket of coaches that have, that could most likely make it in the Australian or the European or the UK side of things. But the big thing that I found and I'm, and I'm learning, and I'm, I've sort of learned this before, but they're very siloed over here. So you've got each different silo, a strength and conditioning silo, a medical silo, a coaching silo, um, and there's very little co collaboration between the three, and there's most probably other silos as well, but they're the main three. There's very little collaboration. So you go into, um, say, any given organisation and you'll have the strength department separate to the medical department, which might, you know, the athletic trainers, the physical therapists, the doctors, and then the coaches. So they're they all should separate. all be in the same office. Well, not the same office, but very close to each other. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. so they, they should be in close proximity. Um, so that is one area where they could definitely do a lot better. But the difference over here is that where in Australia and in the UK where you may have, it, it depends because you have in Australia and, and in Europe, you have, a strength guy who's a high performance manager running the department or even medical guy, you know, doing the same thing. Right. But, um, over here, regardless of the situation, like the athletic trainers and the physical therapists, but most likely the, the, um, athletic trainers, they, they run the show here. And, um, that, that's, that's, there's nothing bad about that. You know what I mean? It's just understanding that if you're a foreign person coming in, you can't tell these people, that have been here their entire life doing everything they've done for their entire life to piss off and move on. You can't do that. You mm. know what I mean? doesn't matter how good or how bad they are. They, just for the culture, whether it's to do with the structure of the performance department or it's like that because from the operation side, and most likely it's probably like that from the operation side of things with the general manager saying, you know what, we want these guys to be in charge. You know what I mean? You have to respect that. And that's the one big thing that I've definitely learned. And I, I knew that medical side had a lot of power over here, but um, respect the understanding the reasons behind why they do is very, very important. So, but definitely there are more and more clubs and colleges that are collaborating, but it's a slow burn. Mm -hmm. And America with all their money and their interest in a lot of things, I've got no doubt that one day they will be, right up there with the best. You know, everyone terms Australians, oh, you know what? Australians are the best in the world of what they do and, and whatnot. And you know what? In some cases, you could argue that, yes, potentially we are, um, but we don't have the finances to be able to continue that run going forward. America, it's a massive, massive market. And they might not care that they're getting, in some circles, laughed at because America's so big. They're like, you know what? We don't care what the rest of the world's doing. We just want to focus on what we do best in our own backyard. And that's perfectly fine too. But they're very, um, they're a curious bunch over here. And it's amazing that, and you probably have to ask this to someone that's been here a lot longer than what I am. And you could say that five, 10 years ago, an Australian, a Kiwi, uh, an, over, an overseas person, I'm not gonna, I don't want to like just narrow it down just to those few people, but you could argue that five, 10 years ago, someone that's not from America could come in, talk a big game and get a job at the job of a hat. You know what I mean? Mm. Those days are, are long gone. You can't. That, well, yes, that, that reason, but also for the reason why they go, wait a minute, let's take a step back. Mm. Let's actually see if you're, if what you're saying is actually legit. 
You know what I mean? And if it is legit, then beautiful. We'll give you the job, which is what they're doing. There's some really good Aussies. There's really good Kiwis, South Africans, whatever, coming over here, you know, even from Asia as well, coming over here and doing a really, really great job. You know what I mean? But it's that they got to the point now where the American practitioners are going, you know what, we want to learn more before we have a knee-jerk reaction, which I respect completely. I think it's it's the right thing to do because, you know what, we wouldn't do anything less in Australia. Mm. We wouldn't. We don't hand out jobs in Australia you know, and I'm not saying the rest of the world do, but um, there's a massive shift at the moment here in America with foreigners coming over. Now, sports science, yes, there's this big technological age over here at the moment where we have to have the best GPS, we have to have the most fancy gadgets, whether it be, um, I don't know, your catapult or Omega Wave or your, um, your Alter Gs or those type of big fancy equipments or your... Um, or what have you, you know what I mean? Like everyone's spending money on those pieces of equipment. But I think to basically put them on track, they just need to take a little bit of step back and get a, get away from the excitement of having all these fancy toys. And once they do that, like I said, they, they will skyrocket and improve so quickly because the intelligence level here is there's a lot of smart people here that know exactly what they're doing. So – I don't understand why there's a negative connotation to going to the US and going all this shit because they're not. Mm. If you if you say that, you clearly haven't been here, you know, and you can't judge until you be here, until you've come over here. So um, the college side of things, you could argue that's a little bit different. Like, let, let me say that what I'm talking about more to do with the professional side of things, the college, because I recently just found out, it's an amazing statistic, um, apparently a, a close to 3,000 colleges in this country. Wow. I was, I was told that by um, just an American colleague, and I was like, how many D1, you know, um, Division One colleges are there? And he was saying, oh, I think he was saying well, it might be like three to 500. I, I don't want to quote that a number. About 300, yeah. Yeah, I don't want to quote a number, but it's about that. And then I was like, what? And he goes, you know, there's more, there's more than 1,000. I was like, well, how many? He goes, yeah, about 3,000 colleges, and that's like all levels. Um, whether it be, you know, D1, um, D2 or community or whatever. And I was like, Shh, that's a lot of jobs. You know what I mean? So you could argue and say that the really tiny colleges with the less um, resources available to them, you know, they could possibly be a little bit behind the curve, particularly yeah. in some of those areas where, you know, the deep south maybe or just those states that aren't close to a big city and they're doing their best with what they can, you know. You know, good on them because that's what I was doing at the Bears when we had zero. You know what I mean? So there's nothing wrong with that. But um, yeah, the college system did, does need to have a bit of a fix. But because of it's the way I was explaining it was this: the reason why college is so important over here is because number one, everyone's going to college and there's a emotional attachment to the college. But then what happens is it's a big country, America. You got fifty odd states, right? So not every state is going to have a professional sporting team. There are some states that unfortunately they miss out. So, but luckily for them, they've got a college in town and everyone loved their sport mad in this country. Like it is unbelievable. Like I thought you guys in the UK were nuts, but over here, like next level craziness, they love their sport. And if you're in a, a one team town or a one co uh, a college town and everyone's baying for sport and that's why you get a hundred odd thousand to a college football game or you pack out you know 10 15 20,000 to a college basketball game you know what I mean so um but it's because these people are in that town have gone to that college they love this college like they love their own child you know what I mean yeah. so if, if you're a coach that has a love for this college and you're working in that you've done that for 30 years you know, it's very hard to want to change that sort of philosophy at the same time. Yeah. And I'm saying they don't have to change. You know, they, they could be doing very well with what they got as long as the team is successful. But um, that era is and probably always will be a very hard era to change. But should, definitely on the professional side with a lot more overseas people heading up departments, um, you know, there's definitely a shift. And like I said, don't judge before you come over here and see there's a lot of great coaches, a lot of great athletic trainers, all doing some great work. You know what I mean? Cool, man. So where can people find you online if they want to get in contact? Um, so 
I've gone on to the so I've gone on to the social media side of things lately. So you can find me on um, on Twitter at uh, Michael Macri eighty nine, and I've also um, got a new Instagram page. You know, I'm doing know, my best, brother. <laughs> doing my doing my best on Instagram with my loyal two hundred followers. So thanks, guys. <laughs> um, you know, I appreciate your support, and that's uh, Michael Macri underscore HP coach. So that's only a brand new thing, and I'm just I love sharing i love talking doing these sorts of things you know i i definitely think that the more people talk the more we share the better we become as practitioners because then like you said you, you don't have that siloed approach you can only learn so much in your own backyard you have to go out there so i'm trying to do that um i've also got with um a website with a friend of mine in the uk called uh, mark quinn called the oval office and you can find us um at the oval office 13.com it's just a a blog we just talk about things that we're passionate about, uh, experiences that we've had, and also bringing on guest writers to share their experiences and their, you know, passions as well. So um, it's an exciting time. You know, this is all new to me uh, in, in that sort of frame, but definitely reach out. You, um, you can also find me on LinkedIn if you want to go down the avenue, send me a message. I'm always happy to chat, um, talk, whatever. So, yeah, um, welcome anyone that wants to that's still awake and hasn't fallen asleep yet. Um, I welcome all those guys to come in and say good day and yeah, let's get on, a, get on a call and have a chat. Cool, man. Appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Oh uh, mate. Thanks for letting me come on. Appreciate it. Cheers.